0: Hello everyone, welcome to Central American Voices podcast. I'm your host, Alejandra Quiroz. Gracias por sintonizarnos una vez más. So today we're we're talking with Danielle Parada, she and her pronouns. She's a development psychologist, researcher, and historian. Her research focuses on experiences on immigration children in the school system, especially in early childhood. Her other work includes a includes on visibility of the Black History of El Salvador and advocating for Afro-Salvadorans here in the United States and in El Salvador through the organization AFROS. First of all, I want to welcome you. Thank you so much for being here um, and talking with us, well, with us, with me <laughs> today. Uh, it is a pleasure and honor you to have you here. Thank you.
1: Thank you for having me. I really appreciate you having the time uh, for me and and yeah, I'm
0: excited i'm super super excited i think that i have followed your work for the longest i think the one who introduced me to you was Saida, um so it's, it's it's really nice to have you here to talk about the afro salvadoran um experience and about the community as well but before we start i wanted to kind of ask you how was your experience growing up a central american yes i was
1: i was born um here in virginia and i grew up in northern virginia it's a very Central American area. Um, the majority of people who are Latinx are Central American. So I was raised around um, primarily a lot of Salvadorans and Hondurans um, and Guatemalans for the most part. So I was really um, exposed to like our culture's From a very young age, it was really common to hear like caliche while you're like on the streets and the stores like it's very common. Um, And so being Central American for me in, in some ways was very normal and regular, you know, because a lot of people were. In other ways it was a little bit unique because of the way I was racialized. Um, I didn't necessarily fit the mold of what people thought Salvadoran looked like. For instance, people would ask, like would say things like, Oh, you look really dark skinned to be a Salvadoran. Um, so in some ways it was regular, like I said, but in some ways it was also unique um to me. Yeah.
0: yeah. Definitely. I think that I have said it before that I didn't know there was a pretty big community of Virginia, of like in Virginia, sorry, of Central Americans. So like coming to talk with you people and other um, people have grew up in Virginia is kind of interesting to talk, but to listen how it like it was normal. You know, because outside of Virginia, it's, it's not <laughs> it's, yeah. it's like a little privilege because, <laughs> you know, here in L.A. is it's not it's a small. I mean, even though it's a big community of Central Americans here, it feels small for a huge city.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's a very unique experience I've come to realize, um, mm-hmm. like most of the kids that I grew up with were Central American in school, if they were Latino or Latinx you know and so um I come you know realize how lucky I am to have that experience you know um but you know there were some some obstacles too like being in the south that has Mm -hmm. its own layer to things um especially when it comes to like racialization and xenophobia it can Mm -hmm. get really intense um I always like to preface by saying that, like, Virginia was the first place that an enslaved African stepped foot in mm-hmm. the U.S., so that tells you about kind of, like, the context in which we're raised, like, yes, it's very Central American here, but it was also kind of a way of survival because of the intense, like, racism that lives in the south right um mm-hmm. you're not accepted in other spaces so all you have is your culture and your community mm-hmm. at home and so it can be like uh also very segregating experience
0: okay. yeah yeah definitely yeah i did i did not know that that was the you know Vir- about virginia that was the first states to slave people that is yeah wow yeah and, you know, if, if we talk about, um, you know, of course, growing up here, um, how was it, uh, you said, before we started talking, you said that when you were younger, you didn't visit El Salvador as much, right? How was, like, how do you create those links and those connections with your with, with El Salvador uh, while growing up?
1: Yeah, um, so what's interesting about our area, it was, like, a place that a lot of people migrated to. So like, uh, especially when I was growing up, there was like a huge boom in migration and people coming into the area, Maryland, Virginia, and D.C. in the early 2000s. And so I grew up in a community that people every week would be coming in straight from El Salvador, Honduras, Guatemala, Nicaragua. Like every week we would have new students in our class from Central America Um, and so like a lot of times we had to adapt to them. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we learned a lot of the culture and the Kalichen and, you know, Mm -hmm. our, our language, because like a lot of our like classmates, Mm -hmm. that's all they spoke. Right. And we would be put in the same classes as well. It didn't matter. So this is where policy kind of comes in the language policy for like uh, during that time, if you were a Spanish speaker, like if you spoke Spanish at home, was to put you in ESL. It didn't matter if you were born here, if you had a high level of English, that was the policy. And so several of us that were born and raised in the United States were placed in class in the same classes as people that were just arriving. And so we were all kind of having these connections that you wouldn't necessarily see maybe in other school systems where they're very segregated. Like if you speak a certain level of English, you're not going to go into this ESL class where native, mm-hmm. you know, uh, people that are just learning the language. That wasn't the case for us. Mm-hmm. And so we were kind of um, forced to like you know, not forced, but we were in, in a situation where we were having cultural exchanges all the time. You know, um, I give this really funny story that kind of gives the indicate, like gives you a picture of what I'm talking mm-hmm. about. And I knew this girl that uh, grew up here, um, who had a boyfriend. We were like in, we must have been like in eighth grade, seventh or eighth grade. And she was showing me pictures of her boyfriend. It was like when MySpace was a thing or like Facebook was starting to like pop off and her boyfriend, I was like, where's your boyfriend? I've never seen him in school. She's like, oh no, he's in El Salvador and he's about to cross and come over. And I was like, oh, okay. And that was a very normal thing where girls born here in Virginia or Maryland would find a boyfriend in the home country and then they would cross and come over. That was very common situation that we would have and it was funny because he would post pictures and he was like on top of la bestia and he's like I vengo mi amor ya voy a llegar you know like things like that so that was kind of like the environment that I grew up in Mm -hmm. you know that wasn't unique like that happened a lot and so you can see you know that gives you an indication of how like closely tied we were to our home countries I think that was facilitated through the internet as well. You know, mm-hmm. it was the rise of the internet and all that. So it was an interesting situation, right? Where it's like, I didn't necessarily grow up in El Salvador. Um, I did. I wasn't able to go as much as I would have wanted as a kid. But when I speak to people, they're very surprised at I, how well I can speak Spanish, especially like Caliche. Mm-hmm. And it's because... It's such. It was such a like Central American experience that I had, um, growing um,
0: up. Yeah, definitely. It's it, first of all, it's just funny to think that it was in eighth grade that she had a boyfriend coming from. You know, because you know, probably you assume like, oh, you're like okay, high school after high school, but eighth grade. That is funny. <laughs> That's so cute. Uh, but yeah, because I thought, um, you know, from what I have been following, I thought that you were like like not only visiting because i have seen how close you are with uh el canton uh oh, i forgot that el name. Brazo. Uh-huh. yeah Um, uh-huh. uh, so it was like okay like I it, it for me it's like oh you're really really close to your like to to the to el salvador you know and to know that that was the type of environment that you grew up in that kind of helped you but at the same time, it shaped you of like being so close, even though you're not, you weren't there, you know, and then you couldn't visit as much as you can. So that's super, super, uh, you know, nice and a different experience completely that, you know, like some some of us have talked about here in the diaspora as a first generation, even your immigrant, how sometimes you denied the part, you know, you deny to be close to your country. And that is because we have lived. In other parts of the country, that maybe we didn't had those experience, and we felt left out out of the community, uh, from different reasons. I wanted to start talking about you know the Afro Salvadoran community and the experience, because this is something that I, I told you before, I wasn't aware that there was this this common, um, non, what's it called? What is the word? Um, denial. Of the Afro Salvadoran community, I didn't know that it was this. There was a such a thing until I probably will say a year and a half or almost two. I think at the beginning of when I started the podcast, um, I learned and I was like, "Huh, wait, does someone like, you know?" Because I have, I have heard, you know, from the, you know, and have heard and um, in seeing how people. It is being very denial of the me- of the Black Mexican community. Right? Um, I have, but I never thought that would had happen. Like for example, in El Salvador, you know, because for me growing up in Honduras and like something that I mentioned to you before was like, it's very common for me to know about the Garifuna, the and the Afro Honduran, you know, and of course you have in Guatemala and there's Belize, like you, yeah, our con our country is full of racism too. You know? bunch of colorism as well but like we we know you know like this community is we 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 acknowledge them that they exist right the system is yes of course right it's like it's just a whole system of society but um but it's just knowing the actual people saying like oh no they don't exist it's like it's something that i wasn't aware of. so i wanted to talk about you um about that like how the like how is This misinformation of no negros like started because I think it started by a coronel like years ago, but I forgot the name.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So there's been so El Salvador is interesting because they say that there are no African descended people in El Salvador Mm -hmm. because we don't have a Caribbean coast, but there's a huge history of the Pacific coast having Mm -hmm. its own history of enslaved. Um, Africans too, mm-hmm. like the we know that um, in Mexico and Afro Afro Mexican communities tend to be in mm-hmm. the Pacific Coast too. The same with Colombia. So I always thought that was weird as well growing up um, when people would say that where it comes from, it comes from one of the main people that is associated with is El General Maximiliano Hernández Martínez, mm-hmm. who was the president. Um, in the early 30s and um, late 20s, mm-hmm. um, it was a time, a really tumultuous time for El Salvador mm-hmm. economically. Um, and so during this time, there was a lot of uh, uprisings, indigenous uprisings against the government um, because of how they were taking land um how the government was taking land away from indigenous communities. And this included also African-descended people. Um, however, uh, during that time, uh, there was this whole idea of whitening the population. And this is not mm-hmm. just unique to El Salvador. This happened in a lot of Latin American countries, if not all of them. Um, but what they enforced was this law where Non-European populations couldn't enter the country, right? Mm-hmm. And so this this idea that you know non-Europeans couldn't come into the country, this included not only Black people, African mm-hmm. descended people, it included um, Romani people, it included Asian people, um, mm-hmm. it included uh, Arabs too, people of Middle Eastern descent. Um, so it wasn't just Black people that were not allowed to enter the country, right? Mm -hmm. This was, I believe, in 1931 when this uh, happened and it was called the Immigration Limitations. Mm -hmm. And then after this happened, people got this idea that all African-descended people were thrown out of the country, right? And this idea started being taught in schools formally, in the curriculum. And this was enacted by that same government that did not allow certain non-European people to come in, right? Mm -hmm. And because of this, it was perpetuated in later years because people were being taught this during that time and then they taught their children and so on and so forth, right? Mm -hmm. Especially when it's in the official curriculum. Um, And so another uh, idea associated with that is also... That El Salvador was one of the first countries in Latin America to abolish slavery, Um, and so because of that, people say, you know, we didn't have the enslavement system for too long. So even before the immigration limitations, we didn't, we just didn't have a lot of black people to begin with, right? Mm -hmm. And so that gave the idea to people that since we didn't have the enslavement system as long as other countries, we just didn't have African descended people coming into the country first of all and then once that immigration limitation was put in like centuries later Mm -hmm. um, it stopped the complete flow of migration of African descended people thus in modern times we just don't have any black people in Salvador. that's the logic where that comes from Mm -hmm. Um, and we see that there's just like a lot of fallacies Mm -hmm. right first of Mm -hmm. all borders are made up right people cross borders Mm -hmm. all the time um, some of the first people that entered with the Spaniards into the region that we now call El Salvador were of African descent, right? So some of the first people that stepped mm-hmm. foot in the region also included African descended people. And, um, so it's interesting that these are uh, the stories that were told and that are told us truth, but then when you look back in historical records, you see that it's not true at all. For example, in the late 1800s, San Miguel, where my family is from, was about 95% Afro-descended, right? So it was a Black Mm -hmm. city. Um, And that goes against the whole idea that we just didn't have African-descended people come into the area at all, from the start, right? So it, it comes from you know, these policies that were made in place and also the perpetuation of anti-blackness in el salvador that is being justified through this history
0: Mm -hmm. yeah and then then we fought for for like after that and it's a complete eraser of the you know because like some things that i have read and that I have researched as well is that based on, on what Maximiliano said and about the slavery system, like the knowledge that there were people there for, you know, and that, you know, they're the descendants of the descent. Is, is it very interesting to know? You said, like, this is something that is taught on schools, right? And if, of course, it's, it's a whole thing of race. It's a racist system. If we transition to, you know, from those ideas that I have been taught in in schools, and now the the experience, right, of the experience of because, I mean, of the Afro Salvadorans, like in as Salvadoran itself, right? Like you, I, I mean, I would just assume that probably I'm just generalizing how there's certain things that is it felt weird, right? And then it's something that I have you know, with family, that is sometime when your experience completely like not acknowledged, and it's something you know, when, and if I'm going to compare it to like indigenous, you know, experience right, when like, in, in our countries, we have a long history of indigenous right, um, groups but the, those stories that are taught in school are not the reality, right, like mm-hmm. the indigenous history taught in school is completely whitewashed and mm-hmm. it's completely taught from a privileged stand rather than you know from the indigenous point of view. So if we compare, like from indigenous point of view and you know, like the African descendant community, um, now this far forward after from the from how long it was till now, all those experience that for the longest has not been acknowledged. Now we have a race of like, okay, but we need to acknowledge that, right? Because like, it it has been so long that it, it said that it was erased, but it, how, like, you, you cannot erase my existence, right? So, like, how does that play in a role, like, for example, you, right? That you identify as the Afro Salvadoran. So, you like, listen to all these stories that is it's like, it's a denial, of yourself,
1: yeah. Um, it was, it's been an interesting experience. Um, because, like I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. that people wouldn't necessarily see me and think Salvadoran growing up, right? Um, especially because I'm more darker, I guess, on the darker end, um, than compared to like. I guess what people think of Salvadoran is, I don't know. Um, but that was something that I got a lot. And so I would tell my parents um, and my, my mom would say, oh, es porque tu papá es negro, right? And I would just be like, but why do people keep saying that negros don't exist in El Salvador? And then that's when they would tell me about the history, right? Um, and, uh, you know, my dad's nickname growing up was El Negro, in his community so it was confusing for sure to for people to say that these people don't exist and i'm just like but my dad exists he's right there right and he's from san miguel he's from a canton. and our family has been there for he says up to 10 generations they think you know um and so it's, it's been weird, right? Because it's like I grew up in a very Central American community. Um, my home, my where my parents are very Salvadoran, you know? Um, I grew up in a very Salvadoran household, community, everything, right? But people just didn't see me as that. So it's a very weird experience to say, this is all I know, but the world doesn't necessarily see you as that. It's a very confusing feeling. And so I always had that weird feeling because like, uh, especially compared to like my mom's side, who for the most part are non-black, you know, who some of them are like blonde and white, you know, it was always very, uh, a difficult experience to see people that look like them be accepted as Salvadoran but people that look like me are not right and so it was it could take a toll on on yourself on your self-identity on who you are it could cause confusion you know and so for a while I really had to search and look for someone or, or history that looked like me that came from El Salvador to really think like yeah like this is my my community like this is my homeland you know, um, and that's how I started even searching for Afro Salvadoran history because every time I would ask, people would just say that the history doesn't exist, right? But when you look at other cultures that are nearby that have similar things and they say, no, that comes from our African populations, you're just like, wait a minute. Then it just doesn't make sense that this is what El Salvador is saying. Like, why do we call Bananas guineos. You know, why do we have plátano? Like, all these things that came from African people, you know? like. And so, after a while, after I started learning about this history, I started realizing that a lot of this stuff that we claim as Salvadoran actually came from African-descended people. It came from my people, from places like my community. And so it's actually reinforced that idea of like, I'm actually more Salvadoran despite the fact that people just don't see me that way. And it doesn't matter because it's like, at the end of the day, I know my history, I know my people and I know there's other people that look like me in, in El Salvador right now who claim their Afro-descendancy, you know? Um, so it's been a interesting experience, but overall at the end, it's been more positive. Because I don't feel as isolated as I used to. I con- I've i connected with actually uh, more Afro Salvadorians than ever online and in person. So, you know, dis- despite it being really tough at first, it's been um, great in the sense that I've found my own community that sees me as, as them, and I see them as my community, and We just get each other that maybe the larger, you know, the larger Salvadoran community might not understand.
0: Hey, I know we don't like ads, but before we continue with the episode, I wanted to tell you that if you like our content, it would mean a lot if you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. Also, don't forget to follow us on the rest of our social media platform. And now let's continue with the episode. And then, you know, for me, it's very interesting to see how colorism works, right? Because it's something that people tend to say like, oh, you know, Latin America or whatever they want to call Like, it. um, it's not racist, right? Like we know it is, right? But it's just so metido and it's so like in nuestra comunidad that we just see it as normal. But how, how you're being questioned from being, oh, you, you know you don't look Salvadoran just because of your color skin or, you know, all the way your hair is, or, you know, it's for me, that is just completely crazy. You know, like, why would, why would someone question you just based on that? Right. And that's not even including, you know, the history that you just, you just find, right. Of completely misinformation and whitewash history but um well in this in this case we're gonna call it mestizo <laughs> <laughs> because they're completely um but yeah it's it's just for me it's it's just a, a, kind of like crazy to like coming let's say for example like if i have what had met you before that podcast and just crazy to think that someone will go to you like oh you're not salvadoran you don't look salvadoran like how can someone say that in front of someone Do you know like you know it's like well I know where mm-hmm. I'm from like yeah so you know it's kind of in it, in it, it's it's really amazing to see like it, it was like a journey and I and I have heard that kind of part from most of the people that I met There's like it's like a journey you know feel you of course you have been denial you're being completely tell you in, in your face. you know that doesn't exist and now with of course the internet and in other communities um you have you all of you have found this little beautiful community, right? That, that accept, that knows the struggle, that accept who you are. And even, like you said, even if the rest of the Salvadoran community does not accept you guys, it's like, it's an acceptance of a group that hopefully, you know, it grows more and we can start changing the education system of that, you know, that type of education, because the reality is that the education that is taught in schools, uh, maybe I don't know, the designos y hasta ahora, is is what shape us, right? It's what shape us as as kids. And sometimes we have seen very clear that is when we leave the those type of education system and go to college, that's when we see different things that we realize that what we have been taught is completely means information. Or if it was a, if, if of course like not completely, but in the sense that it was like, educando de una forma from a different point of view, right? And there's something that I wanted to talk about because I know you do a lot of work of, you know, about the Black history of in Salvador, and in the organization of Afros, and you work a lot of in education. But how can if you? Can, if can, we can talk about the education system, and let's focus in Salvador. How can we start shifting that history and implement like anti-racist education? You know, not only, of course, not only in the school system, but in, in the late in our daily life for the future generations. Because at the end of the day, I feel like if if we don't see the fruits of what we do right now, probably in the future, someone would not have to go through all the struggles, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So some of the first. Steps like we have to start from the ground up in, the, in El Salvador, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Uh, for example, one of the first things, one of the major things that we want is recognition by the Constitution of El Salvador mm-hmm. that there is an Afro descendiente population. Mm-hmm. Um, because in the Constitution, it recognizes the indigenous community of El Salvador, but it does not recognize the Afro descendiente community of El Salvador. Um and Afros, which is the advocacy group in El Salvador, um, and now in the US, um, you know, they have fought for the legislation to be passed, but unfortunately when Nayib Bukele came into power, that legislation was tabled, meaning that it was just not going to be talked about, it's done. So we have to start over basically to get that legislation and constitutional change in place. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the major steps. And then the second step would be for the Salvadoran school system to stop teaching that lie and to start including Afro-Salvadoran history. For mm-hmm. example, uh, one of the first people, actually it was three people, that rose up against the Spanish crown in El Salvador, in San Salvador, I believe, was a Black man called Franco Reina, who was an descendiente man. Um, and some other people that were with him were also described as Black men. So they led some of the first uprisings and that led to the independence of El Salvador, right? Mm-hmm. We don't learn about that at all, right? Mm-hmm. It's all um, given credit to like what they call like the father's
0: of the the revolution or something
1: but yeah i know yeah kind of like the founding fathers and they're all white (laughs) men right but they weren't the ones that did the hard work of getting Mm -hmm. pissed off and talking to other people and saying like this shit ain't right you know Mm -hmm. that was the black population of el salvador and that wasn't just in san salvador that was in usulutan that was in san Miguel, like. It happened in other places, and that's what led to the independence, right? Mm-hmm. And we celebrate Independence Day every year, and no one ever talks about that because mm-hmm. they don't know, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's an example. We have yeah. writers like Prudencia Ayala, who was an Afro-Indigenous woman, you know, who is considered one of, like, the greatest, like, feminist writers of, like, the Americas. hmm no one ever learns about that in the schools. No.
0: And you have to right? actually research about that in order to learn her name.
1: Exactly. And there's several people. They're not the only ones, right? Um, I'm sure there was several people that were doing that work, right? So another would be Farabundo Martí. You know, like, people don't accept that he had Afrodescendancy, even though he was also nicknamed El Negro, Right. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's just like our history has so much Black history that needs to be taught in schools so that people understand that, you know, this population exists and so that children from this population also see themselves in their culture, in their history as well. Um, so I think those are the first two major steps that need to be done. And also for people to just stop saying, you know, that... That stupid lie. It's just mm-hmm. not true, and it's ridiculous to say. It's honestly ridiculous. Um, it doesn't help anyone. It harms. It harms us at the end of the day. You know, like uh, some of the legislators would laugh about the constitutional recognition that we want because they're like, no hay right." So that might seem like innocent or whatever you know like it might not seem like a big deal when people are saying it day to day but it is a big deal because polit- politicians use that as an excuse to not pass legislation that protects Afro Salvadorans at the end of the day right so it does have a bad impact at the uh, at, for our community you know
0: yeah and I mean I know like this would wouldn't set the tone of course like dedication but you know knowing that politicians laughed about the recognition is telling the whole country to laugh about asking for it. So it's like, it it seems like como algo pequeño, but it, it means so much. Like, at least respect, right? Like, respect what we're asking, respect when you um when you and your peers are wanting to and of course include that in the education because i when, when i told you about prudencia this is a, i i didn't know that like i said i had to look for you know i creo que estaba buscando salvadoran feminist like you know just look the way i can learn and that one come up and eso no nos escucha pero decime de los demás verdad like you know you will learn like Cristóbal Colón de, de derecha izquierda en, en la escuela. You know, and there's something that like really. <laughs> right? So, yeah. Um I wanted to ask has um, you know, the about the Afro's organization, if you can tell us a little bit like of what it is, um what you know, the work that both of you well, not both of you, but like you you and your peers do here in the United States and then in El Salvador
1: yeah so afros um, stands for Afro Descendientes organizados salvadoreños um just so people know what that means um it was started by uh johano caurera who is someone that I really admire he's a teacher historian from Atiquisaya, who has always identified as black who comes from along long you know, proud family, black family, you know, in, in El Salvador and Atikisaya. And so they started it. Um, him and some colleagues started the group to kind of just talk about the history, mm-hmm. um, particularly because Atikizaya has a very recorded history of Afro There's actually um, an ethnic group called Panunes, and they are Africans that came from, I think, Benin. And they are a Cimarron community. So I think they escaped Mm -hmm. from like Guate and then came Mm -hmm. to Atikisaya. Um, And so Yohannou is a part of that ethnicity. So it's interesting, you know, when people say no hay negros, it's like, first of all, there are negros. And then there's also a diversity within us, right, where we have ethnicities, too um and so he started that because he wanted to learn more about his own history he got with like other people in el salvador and it became um many iterations of the same organization to what it is now um first of all they had visibilizing the history just in general you know to get people to learn about it advocacies uh Efforts So, you know, like the Congress or the constitutional recognition for one in um, education. So they give talks and workshops and things like that to schools everywhere. Um, and there's also another organization called Azul Originario that was started by an Afro indigenous woman, Wendy Morales. And they work, they're kind of like a sister organization, um, but they mostly work Doing like art, um, uh, right now they're getting involved with indigo and things like that. Mm-hmm. And so, those are the two main groups that kind of represent Afro in El Salvador. And now, um, Afros, you know, kind of just got some of us together that were on Instagram and Twitter that you know mm-hmm. were like, Oh, we're Afro Salvadoran too. Um, got us together and said, You know. Why don't we do something for y'all in the, in the United States? Um, and so we're in the like early stages of our group and what we plan to do in the future. Um, and maybe some of the events that we want to do, like meetups, things like that. Um, so right now for the U.S. branch of it, we're just you know trying to get it from the ground up. Um, and so Astrid, a colleague of mine from Afros, she's organizing like an Afro Latino like Meet up in LA, um. So that's kind of her, you know, realm right now. And then me and my friend, um, Alex, who's also Apollos We do more, you know, organizing, um, and education. So we might go and represent the interests of like Apollos ambientes at like an event that is for Central Americans here, or we might go to like a protest, or we might organize something. Um, for example, we we went to a lot of um, marches that were against the fascist government in El Salvador, and so you know we would go as people that were a part of afros. Um, and so right now it's like I said, it's in the early stages, but we hope to do meetups in the future. We hope to um have more events and things like that that help you know bring community to Afro Salvadorans. Um, because a lot of times we felt a lot of isolation and loneliness, Mm -hmm. Um, especially Afro-Salvadorans that might have a Black non-Salvadoran parent and a non-Black Salvadoran parent, right? Mm -hmm. And they've only seen non-Black Salvadorans. Mm -hmm. And so finding us is kind of like, oh, wow, like they're not mutually exclusive. Like Mm -hmm. they're actually very tied together, you know? Mm -hmm. And so part of our group is to also bring those folks in and, and tell them like, you know, you might have been rejected from a major like Salvadoran community, but you have a Salvadoran community and that's us, mm-hmm. right? So that's part of our efforts too, to make sure that those folks know like you are just as Salvadoran as anyone else, you know, it does yeah. not matter. You know, and there are black people in El Salvador, despite what they tell you, you know. Um, so that's one of the major things that we're doing right now is, you know, trying to build that community for for us in the US. Definitely. Uh does
0: that man? Here in LA, do you have a date or is not yet fully planned?
1: Um, right now it's still in the early stages as well. So, um, I'll give you the link for the okay. the Instagram page that is organizing that. Um, and that is organized by Astrid Ori- Oriana. She is okay. from LA. Um, and yeah, she's also a member of Afro's. So, okay. yeah, we're really excited to just get this work done, and you know, to finally have kind of like a space that's us
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know for us made for us and represents us
0: yes <laughs> yes 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 love to hear that you know it was uh, love to hear and then love to hear that Afros is growing um, you know not only in El Salvador but here in the United States I hope to see more of that and let me know about the event I want to go <laughs> hopefully will, if, if I'm you know I'm free I'll, I'll go definitely I'll, I'll go you know see you guys and everything but I wanted to say before and thank you so much for coming thank you for taking the time to come and uh, talking about the afro Salvadorian community and the history and what the step that us of the Central American community can be an ally to all of you and that we can get those steps forward in, the, in El Salvador. Hopefully to get more recognition and more um history of Afro Salvadorans in school and then future generations cannot go through that huge lie. <laughs> you know yeah. it's, it's, I I am telling you, I did not know that it that like it, it was a, it was an yeah. issue. Like Yeah, it's and,
1: very it's a huge issue. Like people will double down on it. Like
0: I have seen some comments and I'm like yeah. damn people are like are ready to fight on social media for this like chill. yeah <laughs> yeah insane. and it's
1: interesting because they'll be like you know oh you don't look this you don't look afro you look I've gotten like you look india you know and I'm just like first of all you don't call people that you yeah. know what I mean like what and second of all as a person that also is indigenous has indigenous ancestry close to their community i've been to spaces where there's just like indigenous people mm-hmm. and i always stick out and that's something that other afro Salvadorans have gone to gone through as well where they felt the need to straighten their hair to fit in into indigenous spaces so when people tell us that oh mm-hmm. you're not you're not india or whatever it's sometimes really laughable to us because we've tried to find spaces to be in community Mm -hmm. and even in those non-black indigenous spaces we have stuck out you know Mm -hmm. so it's just ridiculous right Mm -hmm. that people have these ideas and try to argue with us as if we haven't tried to look for community in the first place as if we haven't like thought about these things right yeah um so yeah like I really appreciate you giving me the time to talk about it because we need more people to know you know about the real the real history of El Salvador
0: definitely yeah but the real history you know mm-hmm. and I feel like we can come comment that most if if I can come most of each country have a como se llama so um thank you so much. If there's anything you want to share, um, you know, where they can follow you, I'll have all the information down below. Any information that I, I know you do um some recaudaciones for el canton, you can just say it right now. So just,
1: What do you want to share? Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, you can follow me at Sad Girl Danny on Twitter and Instagram. Um, I usually do, uh, you know, do collect money for my canton to cover medical expenses, uh, you know, fees related to, I don't know, youth activities. Like we have a baking program and that's helped kids, you know, stay out of trouble, find a skill and they love it. Um, so that's been great, you know, and we've also have community events. We have vivitas, you know, so like mm-hmm. care packages that we give to people, you know. So anything, you know, that you send, goes straight to the community to help them. Um, and it is a community that has primarily um, Indigenous descended and Afro-Indigenous descended people, you know, so it's a way to help the afro Salvadoran community as well. Yeah. Um, okay. At least my community,
0: right? <laughs> yeah, definitely. And, and thank you. And I know you, you have another page. Uh, I think it changed the name to... It was the Centam American research, I think. It changed yeah,
1: language. I have um, Centam research. Uh, mm-hmm. I haven't been as active on that, but I do post some things related to research specifically because I am a psychologist and researcher. And sometimes I just want to like connect that to Central America. And so I'll post those things on there. Uh, but you can follow me and my main account. To for the more Afro Salvadoran history
0: stuff. Okay, yeah, and then just to add, um, I follow both of you, and you, all your information, all the posts and content that you share is very, a beneficial something that I will, you know, personally tell you thank you, because, uh, yo no soy salvadoreña, pues soy hondureña, and it has helped me to learn not only about Central America but more about you know the community that that I love. So thank you so much for all the work that you do.
1: Well, thank you for having me. I really
0: appreciate it. Thank you. Before I say hasta luego or onto our next episode, if you like our content and would like to support my work, you can join our Patron or donate through our website. Also, don't forget the year-round book, accepting donation for our Voices Scholarship. All the information is always in the description box. And also, don't forget to come back for our next episode.